वेलकम यू आर लिसनिंग टू ह्यूमन्स ऑफ मिट्टी के रंग एंड टुडे वी आर इन कॉन्वर्जेशन विद मिस्टर चार्ली हैवेलैंड मिस्टर हैवेलैंड इज अ जर्नलिस्ट एंड हैज बिन वर्किंग विद बी बी सी यू के फॉर सिक्सटीन ईयर्स ट्यून इन टू नो मोर अबाउट हिज स्टोरी एंड जर्नी सो फार So, uh, for everybody who is joining us, uh, we have our guest today, and his name is Charles Haviland. He's from the UK, and he's a broadcast journalist and output editor for BBC World Service News. And he's been working with BBC for thirty years now. And uh, we will talk to him and get to know more about his journey and experiences so far. So, how are you, Charles? Fine. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. depending on where you are it's great to be uh, linked up with you and with Mitikarang uh, this morning well it's midway through the morning here in london and uh, an unusually sunny day for british climate but actually it's been like this for several weeks and it's very nice good uh, should we uh, should we get to the questions then sure so uh, for starters you've been with bbc for 30 years now so was being a journalist something that you've always wanted to do yeah it's alarming i can still remember my first day in the bbc in actually 1987 quite well <laughs> um so it was a very daunting experience i must say my first day at work and it doesn't does not seem 33 years ago actually no i didn't have any particular ambition to be a journalist uh when i was younger or a student age i didn't get involved in student journalism when i was studying i was quite happy for others to do the journalism uh and uh hadn't particularly been aiming for it uh it is where i ended up and i'm very happy that i did become a journalist so uh what made you change your mind then well it was more that i was looking for a range of jobs after doing my two degrees i'd had Well, I had about six months unemployed, I suppose, in all after finishing my second degree uh, at the School of Oriental and African Studies in London, and I was just applying for a variety of jobs in different disciplines, including social work and arts administration and journalism. I kind of thought those were all things that I would be interested in doing potentially, and in the end, it was the BBC that actually gave me a job because I applied for several jobs that I didn't get. Then finally I did get one with the BBC but not immediately. First they turned me to turn me to turn me down and then a few days later they rang me up and said actually we do have a job for you. And it was only a short contract to start with and it mm-hmm. took a few years of, of uh, grinding hard work. I'm joking slightly but uh, <laughs> to get me onto the <laughs> up a, a couple of levels and become um, a permanent a permanent employee even though that status has come and gone a bit since then. Right. So you joining the BBC was a complete by chance sort of a thing. More or less. Yeah. I mean, I was interested in journalism and I was extremely interested in uh international news in particular because I was interested in uh many other places in the world and what was going on there. And so I did find that uh being an international journalist because I worked from world for world service from the start. 
um, was uh, something that suited me. Um, so I didn't mind that I had kind of fallen into journalism, so to speak. And you've had a 30 long, 30 year long journey. Please talk us through it from the beginning to now. What has your experience been like? Yeah, I'll try not to go into too much uh, detail, but I started uh, my BBC career at a place called BBC Monitoring, which is part of the World Service. But it's a part of the World Service that uh, uh, monitors, you know, listens and watches other television and radio mm -hmm. stations from around the world. This was the late 1980s. It was a very different era. The Cold War was still going on. The Soviet Union still existed. And my, I was put in the specialist team watching what was happening in the Soviet Union and the last leader of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev. And it was a very interesting time because the place was beginning to crumble. The political ed edifices were beginning to melt away. Um, and so the news was interesting and the colleagues were interesting because we had people from places like Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, uh, Latvia, uh, Ukraine, Lithuania, all these part places that are now independent countries were, were formerly part of the Soviet Union. I was working with all these people, they were translating, they were giving the reports to me and um, it was a very interesting time to watch an empire in decline. And then a couple of years after that I joined the World Service in London in Bush House, the legendary home of BBC World Service mm -hmm. and worked there for 10 years. Uh, an equally interesting place with people from all over the world. I worked in the African service for a while. Uh, and I worked on a lot of feature programs, which took me to places including um, Syria, um, uh, Latin America, Africa. I was able to look at Syria in a time of peace in quite some detail 20 years ago, when President Assad Senior had just died and his son, uh, Bashar al-Assad, now the notorious Syrian president, had just come to power. I was able to get around the country on my own and with a translator doing quite a lot of reporting without too much restriction and uh, that was something I look back on um, with a feeling of great privilege um, and then from 2002 for 12 years I based I was based in Asia uh, to start with not so far from where you are in Chennai in world terms not too far away but I basically spent 12 years in South India and Nepal and Sri Lanka and was a regular visitor to Afghanistan and Pakistan at the same time and I think those 12 years were the high point of my career so far uh, reporting uh, on the grassroots situation in those countries reporting on ordinary people's lives reporting on war and peace processes uh, and much more besides culture economy religion all the things that are so uh, vital to the lives of South Asians I had the privilege to report on. And until 2014, I was there. And since then, for over five years, I've been back uh, in London at our new broadcasting house from where I've been uh, um, one of the news editors uh, based in London. So not quite the excitement of my years abroad, but uh, uh, a more manageable lifestyle in the sense of um, not having to organize quite everything myself. That's amazing and you have been exposed to so many different cultures throughout your career. So what was that like? 
Well, it was amazing, and I think it, it was the it's the one thing that has made me really happy that I chose the career that I did. Um, I mean, I think working in a region like South Asia, you are inevitably um, struck, as you would in much of the world, I think, by just uh, the kindness of people um, in terms of what was its effect and the impressions it engendered uh, on me in my everyday life. Uh, whatever the colour of people's skin, whatever the level, level of poverty they find themselves in, you're travelling uh, in sometimes quite remote places and people display kindness and ingenuity and generosity uh, and dignity. Um, and um, it makes you feel very privileged to have the relatively privileged background that you have uh, when you see how people with so much less are uh, really models of humanity. Mm -hmm. So I suppose been uh, extraordinary um, and I think uh, I suppose you can't help uh, being struck when you work in a region like that um, by in in a sense the outrage of so many people living in such poverty and the desire perhaps to try and convey some of the facts of their existence and hope that you can be a very very small force for change perhaps in um, publicizing and telling people's stories. Right. And with the cultures that you were exposed to, you also, I'm sure, came across many different lifestyles. Is there anything that, in particular that you have learned from these lifestyles that you still adopt in your life to date? Well, I would say what I've just um, outlined, I suppose, yeah, you see people's dignity and kindness and you try and perhaps act that out in your life today. Mm -hmm. So do you have a, a story that you can share, some uh, adventure that you can, you that really changed your life or assured you that you're on the right path? Uh, well, I mean, I can think of many, many stories that I did uh, that were extremely interesting and maybe one that really stands out was Six years ago in the north of Sri Lanka, a very, very uh, troubled part of the world with decades of war behind it. I did a very short report, but uh, I felt that it impacted me very much so about a young woman who had lived through some of the worst excesses of the war in Sri Lanka and she had lost both her arms. And, um, and yet, she was now a teacher of competing. So young people, teenagers would come up to her house, uh, a small house, an isolated village uh, near the coasts of uh, the, the Jaffna Peninsula in Northern Sri Lanka, quite a windswept uh, landscape near the sea. And um, she would, uh, using her feet, she would compute and uh, young people would learn their IT from her. I thought she was an amazingly inspiring uh, example for the world. Uh, uh, so um, people, uh, if you like, sort of entrepreneurs who can make the most of a really difficult existence like that are inevitably going to be inspiring. Um, mm -hmm. At the other end of the scale, uh, I 
met a few celebrities, I suppose, and one who really stood out was Edmund Hillary. So Edmund Hillary, the man who was in the party uh, that first conquered Mount Everest in 1953. Mm -hmm. uh, he was one of the people that reached the top uh, before anyone else or so it appears. So when I was living in Kathmandu and reporting on Nepalese affairs, I was fortunate enough to meet him when he was coming through um, just a couple of years before he died. But to talk to mm -hmm. him about uh, the Everest region and the Himalayas and the social um, entrepreneurship that his NGO was doing in deprived parts of Nepal was another very inspiring experience. That's just one other example. Yeah, uh, you have been to Everest Base Camp as well, uh, if I'm not wrong. You're absolutely yeah. right, yes. Please share your experience. Yeah, the reports. Well, I, I did one report, I did one uh, trip there uh, as a holiday. Uh, and uh, two and a half years later, I did a trip there on a reporting assignment. Uh, it was a privilege living in Nepal and being able to sometimes explore these places as part of your work. But you couldn't just go off at a few hours notice. You really had to plan these trips quite meticulously. It was 2008 and there was a lot of controversy over the Olympic torch, um, mm -hmm. which was being circulated by China in advance of the Beijing Olympics. And the Chinese didn't want the Nepalese to let anyone go up Everest until the torch had been on top. So we did a reporting uh, trick to interview people on the way up and see what we found if we got to Everest base camp on the Nepalese side. And we were sent away pretty quickly by the authorities, but we met a lot of very interesting people along the way. Yeah, I mean, it is the most staggeringly beautiful part of the world. And if anyone ever gets the chance to go out, not up Everest, but as far as base camp, if anyone is uh, willing and fit enough and adventurous enough to want to do that, I would heartily recommend it. Right. Um, Charles, I would like to know your opinion on something. Uh, today, we are living in a day and age where uh, news and media is available to any anyone very easily. So, and people like to promote negativity sometimes to get people to get more views or get more, uh, just get more viewership for their channel. So, why do you think BBC, Big BBC has been on for a long time now and they've never come into such controversies where they're promoting negativity and negative news to reach their audience? So, uh, how can you think we can solve that? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think all news organisations, uh, whether the BBC or other broadcasting or print or online media organisations, uh, are sort of treading on eggshells at the moment, really. As you say, there's so much negativity in the world. There's so much conflict, even if not physical conflict, conflict of worldviews and ideas, as well as physical conflict, and as to what is the way forward. Uh, and uh, any news organization has to be very, very careful to try and stand back uh, from uh, the, the fray, if you like. But also a news organization like the BBC mustn't be afraid to question uh, the accounts that it gets, for instance, from those in authority, to hold governments up to scrutiny. Uh, mm -hmm. To speak in the way that an individual journalist like me must do, an organisation must also, above all, try and seek the truth of a matter. 
yeah. and get to what is true in a story. A lot of the negativity is, I'm not saying that social media is responsible for it, but social media can enhance the negativity. And I think there's always a hazard these days that maybe uh, too many of us uh, will reach first for the social media before reaching for the actual more established media, which is not to say that the established media are always paragons of goodness. Um, mm -hmm. But of course, social media does, uh, not least with its algorithms and all that, uh, tend to foster uh, um, negativity and division. It can also be a force for good. So we just have to try and uh, use our social media as a force for good uh, rather than being caught up in the negativity of it. Uh, but yes, give traditional media a chance. Um, uh, but traditional media need to be on their guard uh, mm -hmm. and always have the duty of reporting the truth and informing people um, at the top of their agendas. Right. Uh, coming back to your uh, travel diaries, uh, which has been the most which has been your most favorite place to live at or your most favorite place to travel? I couldn't say that really because it would be invidious. People often ask me that. <laughs> uh, I think the Himalayan region of Nepal and indeed India, where I've been two or three times to the Himalayas, uh, will always hold a very special place in my heart. Um, particularly in Nepal because I was there for so long. When you go to the Himalayas, you're not just going to a beautiful landscape. You are sharing in the lifestyle of the sometimes quite populated valleys very high up. Uh, hearing people speaking in languages which are not spoken in the metropolis, following a lifestyle that, yes, is changing, but has not changed um, as rapidly as we might suppose before we get to these villages. Um, know sitting in a, a small smoke-filled hut uh, and drinking tea and talking to um, the people that may uh, that may even be offering you a blanket and a bed for the night uh, I will never forget those kind of experiences that I had in the Himalayas uh, but it's not to say it's necessarily the only region that I could call favorite but uh, that's certainly one of them by way of contrast, I will never forget my visits to um, Afghanistan and uh, in particular, perhaps outside the capital Kabul. I was up, lucky enough to go maybe four or five times on my visits. And I will never forget one experience in northern Afghanistan, mazar -e sharif I don't think it was for a report, but we'd done a lot of reporting for a couple of days. And we, I and my colleagues from BBC Afghan got the chance to visit uh, a small room where some Sufi Muslims uh, mm. were doing their devotions and doing playing and singing devotional music, uh, which was the most astonishing experience. About three or four of them sitting around in a circle and uh, just um, treating us to this wonderful uh, Sufi devotional music is something, again, I will never forget. And which doesn't really accord with the image of Afghanistan we get so much in the world today of austerity, of uh, militancy, terror, yeah. uh, and a very austere form of life. It's not all like that. Yes, actually that was going to be my next question too, but you already answered it, so thank you for that. Uh, and what about when it comes to cuisine? What cuisine did you enjoy most? 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> Invidious as well. Um, uh, Indian cuisine is pretty unbeatable. I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you, Angela Jacob. Uh, uh, I should say Indian and Pakistani cuisine. I mean, I will never forget so many meals I had in India, but uh, also there's an extraordinary chain of restaurants in um, Pakistani cities. Um, whose name, of course, I've forgotten at the moment, where you get the most amazing tandoori food. Um, <laughs> so I would say um, South Asian food as a whole does me very nicely. But I am also, I should say, I'm a great lover of Europe and European cuisine and European travel. Uh, so there is room for many cuisines in my life. Italian and Turkish cuisines just bringing to mind immediately as, as being wonderful, nearer to home. Amazing. When it comes to your career, do you have an inspiration, someone that you have looked up to when it comes to journalism? Uh, yes, I do. My father was a journalist. Uh, he stopped being a journalist uh, more than 30 years ago, at least a sort of... Um, uh, salaried or career journalist but journalism still runs in his veins uh, I didn't intend to be a journalist he didn't sort of tell me to be a journalist uh, but I can't help thinking so much time uh, of the time when I'm in a journalistic that's a horrible word when I'm in um, a place and I'm doing a report I do find myself saying from time to time how would dad do this or what would dad think of this um, I've never said this to him before. If he hears this interview, he might be surprised to hear me saying it. Um, <laughs> but I suppose, journalistically, he's the main influence. Wow, lovely. Uh, my next question is, you have travelled to India. So, please share your experiences of India. Please tell us what you loved about it, what you didn't like about it, everything. Yeah, I mean, not only I travelled to India, but lived there for nearly two years and then frequently visited before and after. Well, I think if you grow up in the UK, um, India is one of the sort of foreign uh, cultures that has a great influence on you um, mm -hmm. because uh, uh, people of Indian heritage are very much part of life in Britain, as you know. Uh, so you might... Um, um, sample the cuisine at quite a young age. When I was very young, Indian cuisine wasn't very easy to get hold of in Britain, but from my age of about 12 onwards, we used to have it from time to time as a special treat. Um, just cuisine, but I mean, of course, there are people of Indian heritage in the UK. But when I first visited India in 1992, it was extraordinary uh, to actually be there because nothing can prepare you for actually being in India. It was a very difficult time. My arrival in India in 1992, the Ayodhya controversy was raging. Mm -hmm. um, there were riots all over the country because the Babri Masjid had been demolished. So it was, you could say, I didn't pick my moment of arrival um, uh, terribly well. Um, it limited the traveling I was able to do in India or it dictated certain places and ruled out certain other places. Uh, but I didn't sort of see any of that at first hand. I was able to experience Indian hospitality, the glories of long Indian train journeys. Um, <laughs> those were the things that started me uh, on my interest in India. And uh, I've kept 
coming back. I've been lucky enough to see a lot of the country. I was there only in February, March this year. And even though I was there for 25 days on holiday, um, I sadly didn't take any train journey at all. And I think that sort of reflects the fact that as you grow up, you seem to rush around a lot more and don't have time maybe for the leisurely things that you had before. And I rather regretted that. Next time I go back to India, I want to get on a long train journey again. Uh, it's just, uh, that was I missed this time. But I suppose it's difficult to ex detail my experiences in India because they've been very varied and very multifarious and very much informed by um, my uh, close friends there of, of, uh, in many parts of, of the country. And for our Indian viewers, if you could tell us more about uh, UK and what you think is the beauty of it, all of that. Well, there's no getting away from it that my country is going through major crises at the moment. Firstly, with COVID, um, and secondly, uh, with Brexit and how Brexit is going to happen. And that is really challenging the unity of this country, um, you know, which is uh, constitutionally composed of four nations, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland. Um, mm -hmm. Setting aside those crises, um, yes, come and visit, enjoy the variety of landscapes, the variety of the towns and the cities, and the huge variety of the people, whether you're talking about the people within a city like London, or any other city, but also the extraordinary and rich regional varieties we have from the southwest of England to the northeast of England, to the center of Scotland, to the northwestern highlands of Scotland, to the middle of Wales. Uh, it is a varied and beautiful place for a, a country so relatively small. Uh, and. Um, we need to be as welcoming as possible to uh, anyone who wants to visit Britain. And I would urge people, if they can, and if they get the chance to come here. Lovely. Uh, I just had a curious question that just came in my head just now. Uh, what do you think, uh, how has this current pandemic affected journalism? And what changes has it brought in journalism? Well, it's made it much harder for journalists to travel around and those who are reporters, it's made it much harder for them to do their job. Um, mm -hmm. The job that I'm doing at the moment is based in an office in London uh, and we haven't changed our routine, um, though there's far fewer of us in the office and more working from home. Um, I think it's an early stage yet, even though COVID has been around sort of three, four months. Um, it's too early to tell how major the changes will be because we don't know how long it's going to be with us and how lasting the changes will be. Um, but if I was a foreign correspondent um, based uh, in a country which was experiencing a lockdown, I would feel particularly frustrated because I wouldn't be able to go out and about and do my work, except in very restricted conditions. So journalism is one of the questions that is certainly challenged by COVID. Though I think there are other professions that are much worse affected by it, I should say. Um, so it works both ways. Right. 
if uh, coming to my last few questions last couple questions if you had to give some words of advice to someone who's seeking a career in journalism as well or something similar uh, what would those words of advice be yeah well uh, be interested in people if you're going to be a journalist that is reporting uh uh out and about take people and individuals and families as your starting point be interested in them tell their stories uh whether it's a story of um difficulty or hardship or happiness or fulfillment or very importantly human rights i came across a lot of those stories in south asia publicize their story um be skeptical of what those in government say to you and hope that your journalism um can can make a difference lovely and work hard and <laughs> of course uh and finally coming to my last question if our viewers and listeners want to get in touch with you and know more about you and your work how can they do that okay well um you can listen to bbc world service radio i know that radio long since went out of fashion in india but mm-hmm. let's bring it back into bbc world service but we also do uh, a global news podcast every day twice two or three times a day please look for that uh, please go to the bbc sounds app and listen to world service news bulletins at the top and bottom of every hour and listen to our news programs like news hour and the newsroom um please look at bbc world television and um <laughs> the bbc international news website it has an in page has an asia section uh i myself i'm sometimes on air on uh bbc world service radio you cannot really predict when that's going to happen but if you keep listening you might hear me you can also follow me on twitter at @cfhaviland or one word um those i guess are the main um things i would suggest amazing uh, thank you so much charles for joining us today and giving us your time and sharing your experiences with us it's been lovely talking to you and it was a great we, hope, we hope to meet you soon indeed i'll look forward to that thank you okay <laughs> thank you